0: Welcome to episode 29 of the actual astronomy podcast. So this is going to be a podcast on the Milky Way galaxy. And so, uh, you know, many people have heard about the Milky Way, but we're going to talk about what it is exactly. You know, a lot of people may have said that they've seen it or they want to see it. But uh, yeah, so, um, you know, what, what, what are we talking about, Shane, like even in the most general way possible? What are we talking about when we say uh, we're going to go and and observe or take a look at the Milky Way when we go to astronomy at this time of year?
1: Well, uh, you know, maybe maybe before I get into that, sure, you know, yeah. I, wanna, I, I just want to set the table a little bit in terms of timing. Um, the Milky well, I way- could eat. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So yeah, two things. The Milky Way is a you know, an ice cream place in Regina, which is really good. Um, exactly. Yeah. But, you should tweet that out. I probably oh, should. I probably people think should, we're
0: yeah. making this up. This, this is, this is a joke only because it's working so well.
1: Yeah. And, 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 you know, the Milky Way location ice cream place in Regina is quite legendary. It's been around for decades. Uh, serving- I think you
0: mean legendary.
1: Oh, there
0: you go. <laughs> oh. <laughs> oh, wow.
1: Oh, there's a, giant- all right. We're, we're, we're moving on from that. <laughs> um, so summertime Milky way is amazing. Uh, it is, it, it, I get lost in it every year and, and I look at the same objects in it every year because it's just so beautiful. Uh, so I'm glad that you decided we should talk about the Milky way because we're just getting into, you know, summer darkness that will take us into the fall. And this is the time of the year mm-hmm. to get out and see the Milky way. Yeah. So, you know, the Milky Way is our home galaxy. This is where Earth and the sun and, you know, this is where we reside. Um, When you look up into the sky and you see stars, whether it's with your naked eye, binocular or telescope, you are seeing only stars that uh, exist within the Milky Way um yeah, yeah most people don't
0: realize that that that's a i didn't put this down but that's a really good point I, and i and i do often make that when i'm when i'm teaching about the milky way in my astronomy classes because people say well like how do i know if i'm looking at a star that's in the milky way i'm like they all are you you yeah. and i are like two of the few people that around here probably that have seen stars not in the milky way because you hunted some down one night and it was a pretty darn difficult exercise if i recall correctly
1: Yeah. Yeah. Like you can, you can observe um, some distant globular clusters that are in the Andromeda galaxy. Now you need a, you know, some serious aperture. We were uh, attempting that through a 12 inch uh, uh, Dobsonian that night. Under very, Um,
0: very dark skies.
1: Yeah. And, and when you see it, it's really like, you're not seeing another star. You're just seeing like a fuzzy little blob, you know, and, and you know that that's a collection of stars. Um, it, it just like when you look at a galaxy and, and you see this luminous object, you're seeing the collective light of billions of stars within that galaxy, but to see an individual star, it's, it, it's Milky Way and that's it. And so, you know, when we say observing the Milky Way, I guess you could say any star you see is, uh, is, you know, you're, you're seeing the galaxy. However, um, during the summer, the core of the Milky Way is on prime display. And that's where you, you get kind of this banding of starlight and really the, what you're seeing is the this milky stream in the sky, uh, which is how the galaxy got its name essentially too.
0: Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's what it looks like. It just looks like, and you know, uh, one of the things that people will, will ask when they're looking at it is they'll ask, is this band? It looks like a band of clouds, but it's really strange because it's sort of narrow and it runs from due south up overhead and into the north. Is And they say, I've been watching this for a while because we get this frequently when we're doing our public outreach in, in the National Park, uh, in the Grasslands National Park. And they'll say, hey, is is this the Milky Way? And we're like, yeah, absolutely. And they're like, I never thought I'd be able to see that. You know, I, I, I'm just going to hop in really quick. I, I put in this statistic from a 2016 National Geographic um, and it, you know, it talks about America, but you know, which is so different, I think from most places that 80% of Americans, uh, have never seen the Milky Way. And they say that a third of the world's population, um, would not be able to uh, even glimpse it.
1: You so, know, I'm glad you brought that up, Chris, cause I take it for granted. Uh, you know, I was born and raised in a small town in mm. Saskatchewan outside of, uh, Regina and I remember quite often as a kid, you know, we would, uh, I might be coming home at night, you know, after hanging out at a friend's house Yeah. and you would just look up and there it was, there yeah. was the Milky Way. It was no big deal. Yeah. But the public outreach that you and I and some of our other uh, friends do down in grasslands really opened my eyes to, you know, the fact that not everybody's seen it. Um, yeah. I remember a number of nights you know, we were showing people various objects through our telescopes, um, and hearing comments, uh, there's, there's one gentleman that stands out in particular. I don't know his name. We, you know, we had some brief exchanges just throughout the course of the evening. He, he looked through our telescopes a little bit, but he just looked at the, the Milky way with his naked eye. Yeah. I think that was said, the guy
0: that was asking like that, The like at first, like that sort of prompting question to me or you, I mean, we're standing like eight feet apart, so I can't recall if he was asking me or you, but I think that's the person I'm remembering as well.
1: Yeah. And this is the first time he had seen the Milky Way. And, yeah. you know, he was retired and he was, you know, traveling across Canada, seeing a whole bunch of national parks. And I thought, how is that even possible? But yeah. again, I take it for granted uh, because of our location, we don't have a lot of population or light pollution. Um, and that's just not the case for, you know, the majority of, of where people live. You know, they often live in light polluted areas, which really, you know, in the last podcast, we talked about why dark skies are important uh, because it washes out details of nebula clusters and distant yeah. galaxies, but it also washes out the Milky Way. You can't see it under any form of light pollution.
0: And you know, the one thing, you know, and, and you know, I, I, guess I was fortunate. Well, I guess I know I was fortunate in Grandport where I grew up and, you know, spending my summers in extreme rural uh, Nova Scotia. Um, you know, and we would also on those rare occasions where it was clear at night, unlike here where it is often clear at night, um, you know, be able to to see that in like way. But I kind of found it intimidating. You know, I wanted to learn uh, the night sky and I really wanted to do astronomy for a long time. But, you know, uh, there we have, unlike the bodies of water here, we, we have, you know, some pretty significant tides and we have a deck that goes down to a floating dock. And I would lie on this when it was a low tide at night. A beautiful like angle um for for looking at at the at the sky overhead. And uh, you know, I remember looking into what I now know as Cygnus. And I, I think I probably more or less knew it was Cygnus then give or take, or maybe I knew the summer triangle. I knew I was looking up into the summer triangle area. And uh, you know, I was about 13 and I could really I was like resolving stars past sixth magnitude at that at that time even. And uh boy, I remember thinking, there's no way I could learn all these. You know, that just seems impossible. But I remember thinking at that time, you know, at that age, I'm, I'm really going to try to do this. And, you know, it took a few years to really kind of get my feet under me to, to really uh, do that. But you, you really can't learn all the stars in, in the Milky Way. <laughs> that would be impossible.
1: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, there's, just, there's, there's no way. You, there, there's almost too many deep sky objects within the Milky Way to, uh, you know, fully remember where they all exist and, mm. and what their names are.
0: Yeah. So <clears throat> do you want to give a visual impression of it now? Like your visual impression or?
1: Yeah. So if, if you're out under a dark sky, um, oh, I don't know any, you know, anytime in uh, July through August, uh, really even going into September, uh, you allow your eyes to get dark adapted. So, you know, no white lights for 30 minutes, uh, once the sky is truly dark, and it's almost like, you know, again, in the last podcast, we talked about noctilucent clouds and how they just sort of, they're like ghosts all of a sudden they just start to appear mm. and you'll, you'll notice that in the Milky way. If you're looking, you know, pretty much due South, um, you'll, you'll see this, this band of kind of milkiness or cloudiness in the sky that it starts at the horizon and it goes all the way up, uh, overhead. Um, and, as the sky gets darker, this band will become far more prominent, and that's the milky way mm-hmm. and again, under a dark sky, it is enormous mm-hmm. it takes up a big swath of the sky. How many degrees is that Chris? do you know offhand Well, it's measured it well so
0: yeah it it's kind of a funny thing you know and and if uh, people recall we were talking about sort of favorite books uh, a few episodes ago. And one of my favorite books is called Deep Sky Wonders as edited by Stephen O'Meara. But uh, it's a bunch of articles put together into book format by O'Meara. And the writer was Walter, Walter Scott Houston. But he had something called the the Milky Way Uncertainty Principle. And that's that if you look at the, for the Milky Way, you find it, um, you know, under a dark sky, um, you kind of say, okay, well, like this is the edge of the Milky Way. And then you, you kind of go and do some observing or whatever and you come back a short while later and you try to find the edge again it will have will have moved a little bit because depending mm-hmm. on the sky transparency your dark adaptation, uh and some other variables um yeah it, it will appear to you know expand or, or shrink depending on these but typically you know when we're at a, at a really dark site and we're having a really good night it just keeps getting wider and wider and wider. Yeah. I don't know if you've noticed that as well till finally Absolutely. it seems like it, it's taking up like almost the whole sky seems like it's Milky Way after a while.
1: Yeah. Yeah. It it, 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 I guess it's not a fair question cause there are so many variables, uh, particularly how dark is your sky. Mm-hmm. Um, but the other thing that, you know, is very prominent within the Milky Way is, is it's very patchy. You know, there's, there's some very patchy bright areas, and then almost like an absence of stars, you'll have some dark areas, which are known as dark nebula. Um, yeah. You know, the most great, nebula. That, oh, sorry.
0: No, I was just going to, I was just going to build on what you're saying, which is there's the great rift, which runs um, sort of almost uh, dead center from somewhere around uh, Scorpius to uh, somewhere into Cygnus. And it and it divides uh, that Milky Way in into two. And this is actually material that's between us uh, and all these background stars that, that form the Milky Way.
1: Yeah. When we talk of nebula, there's, there's a couple classes. Um, well, maybe, maybe three classes I'll talk about. There's, um, a star that will go supernova so that, you know, it explodes essentially or it sheds off a lot of its material that, that is just gas that is shot off into space. And then it's illuminated by usually that star that is is still kind of hanging on to life. So it gives off light and you're able to observe it through a telescope or binoculars. Um, Then there's other nebula, like say the great Orion Nebula, M42. Uh, Again, it's a lot of gas um, and it's illuminated, but it's a star birth region. So stars are being formed there. Um, and they take on all sorts of different shapes and sizes and, and uh, are, you know, very, very unique in, in almost all cases. Um, the third class, which doesn't really get that much attention, is known as dark nebula. And, yeah. you know, the reason it doesn't get attention is because you can't actually see it. It's not illuminated, but it's, you know, it's dust or gas in space that is between earth, uh, and some stars or, you know, what in, you know, in what we're talking about here with the Milky way, it's between us and the Milky way core. So you just can't see anything there. So it's kind of a, it's a weird thing to talk about. You know, when you observe a dark nebula, you're observing just the absence of light and that's how, you know, you've seen it Yeah, and they're, they're all over the Milky way. <laughs>
0: Yeah, and I, I love looking at those. You you really need a dark sky, they're contrast objects. So you really need a dark sky and some good wide field optics to to observe them. But you know, one of the neat things, like you reference some of the uh deep sky objects really, like the nebulae and star clusters and such. Um, and we have a couple of different kinds of star clusters. We have uh open and globular clusters. Do you wanna can you can I put you on the spot and we don't have this in our notes or anything, can I put you on the spot to dis- describe an open and globular cluster? Because I feel you've described it before. Maybe it wasn't even on this podcast, but just when we're doing presentations, like you have a pretty elegant way of, of describing the open and globular clusters oh, as well gee. that are in our Milky Way.
1: Oh, the pressure I feel <laughs> the pressure. <laughs> so, so a globular cluster is uh, really just like a, a condensed ball of stars. They're often circular, uh, hence the name, you know, planetary. Um, and they vary in size and brightness. Uh, the most prominent one in the Northern hemisphere is uh, Messier object 13 up in Hercules, mm. uh, great summertime object. Some people describe it as like a, a bowl full of jewels or a bowl full of diamonds uh, because you know, uh, in M13 with a decent aperture, you're able to resolve hundreds, maybe thousands of these individual stars. Uh, yeah. It's quite pretty, um, when I started observing deep sky objects, I loved looking at globulars and hated open clusters. Me I too. I, I was the same way. Yeah. Yeah, and so an open cluster is pretty much, <laughs> so it it's pretty much any collection of stars, um, and and you know. It, it sounds odd, like globular is, is very defined, you know, it's, mm-hmm. you know, this kind of ball of stars. And, you know, if you, if you look at an open cluster and a globular cluster, you know, it becomes very evident, but uh, open clusters are just a collection of stars that have, uh, they're, they're part of a system, you know, they're gravitationally bound or, yeah. or they interact upon each other. And they have a um, common
0: point of origin. Like they, they were all born more or less the same way, like in a, uh, nebula, kind of like maybe the Orion Nebula, is is birthing out uh, a bit of an open cluster right now. Maybe you can say,
1: yeah. So the Pleiades is maybe one of the more widely known examples of an open mm. cluster, M forty five.
0: Yeah, yeah, M forty five. Yeah, we make we make some we make some uh, goofs. Yeah.
1: so that that starts to uh appear in the fall um you know it'll start to rise and become more of a winter object yeah um so you know that has uh you know seven or eight prominent stars that form that open cluster but i can't remember how many stars are actually part of that cluster you know once you put some optics on it uh, again binoculars or telescope yeah um, dozens yeah. Dozens. Yeah, it's it's beautiful. It's a stunning cluster to look at. Uh, the reason why I, I kind of hated open clusters when I first started observing is because they're somewhat challenging to find occasionally. Mm-hmm. Uh, but as you observe them more and more, they become easier to find. And now I prefer them over globulars because they're all so unique in terms of the star brightness, sometimes the star colors, but definitely like just the dispersion of the stars, Mm -hmm. uh, is, is always different. So Mm -hmm. now I kind of gravitate towards these open clusters and I love looking at them and maybe two other points. Open clusters are generally younger stars. Globulars are some of the oldest stars in our galaxy.
0: Yeah, that's, that is a good point. Um, just kind of sort of building on that. So we have these open and globular star clusters, um, and then we have the, the nebulae, um, like the star form regions and then, um, some reflection nebula and some dark nebula. And one of the really neat things about the Milky Way is, um, in a, in a way, like other than the moon, you know, this is sort of like the easiest thing to find from a dark sky. It's just look for this sort of unmoving band that goes from due south, uh, up overhead, um, and then in, into the north from there and and so if you can find this large giant band of clouds, like the largest thing in the night's kind to of look at and it kind of looks a bit fuzzy it might look a little bit white or green in places and it's bisected by this dark uh, banding of dark nebulosity uh, people generally can find this um, you don't really need a map or anything like that so when i have either people in my class or people are just asking me like gee, I'm I'm going to be going camping or something. I'm going to take a pair of binoculars like you suggest. I have have a pair of binoculars already. Um, But what can I look at? You know, I don't really know all this stuff and I'm just kind of learning it or want to learn it. I'm like, look, don't worry. Just don't worry about taking anything out with you. Just take the binoculars. You don't even need to take a star chart or anything. You just find that cloudy band that runs from the south up overhead to the north. And, uh, and just take your binoculars and scan up and down that, and you're going to find all kinds of great stuff. You're going to see um, things that are fuzzy. You're going to see groupings of stars. You're going to see um, some of those really round balls of stars like the globular clusters. You're going to see that, that bright band um, break into stars, and then other clouds of stars And behind. You're going to see these dark uh, rifts and seams of the dark loss that are in there. Um, and you actually don't need to know what all these things are to start looking at them, eh? Like you can just go and look.
1: Yeah. And, and you could spend multiple nights doing that. Mm -hmm. (laughs) There's just so much to see in the Milky way. It's, it's absolutely incredible. Um, two of my favorite things to look at in the Milky way. Um, they're both in the constellation of Sagittarius. Um, one is Messier object number 17. It's known as a Swan Nebula. Um, you you'll hear all these names of of nebulas. like there's the dumbbell there's the swan uh you know on and on and on
0: yeah these these are what we call common names
1: yeah but sometimes i struggle to see the image that the name is portraying but when i look at the swan nebula through a telescope there's no denying what it looks like it mm-hmm. it looks like a bird like it it's incredible um so i love that one mm-hmm. um and then uh, i think it looks
0: like a loon but
1: Agreed. Yeah, maybe not a swan. Let's rename it the Loon Nebula.
0: (laughs) Yeah, well, the reason why I say that is, you know how loons have that collar? Oh, yeah, yeah. It's got that collar to it, it, if you look. I I can't remember, you know, anyway, it's got a little bit of a collar of stars, like three stars that are, anyway, and, and loons have that collar. We have lots of loons up here in Canada, not so many swans.
1: <laughs> yeah, that's true. Uh the other object I really like is is Messier 23 and I'm certainly not that's highlighting. that's an
0: open cluster. That's sort of an off-Broadway kind of pick, you know, I would think.
1: It, what what I love about it is when you're if you're star-hopping your way towards it or or just sort of um you know scanning the Milky Way, it is such a neat transition from like you know where that object begins and where it ends. You know, it's, it's such a rich area of stars. Well, now um, I got to
0: go take another look. I, I, it's funny you pick that because, you know, and it, it just goes to show there's no accounting for taste. No, it it just goes <laughs> to show that, that uh, Shane and I are pretty good friends. So it's, it's all good. But uh, you know, um, you, you you could pick an object that would be at the bottom of my list. And then I'm like, well, wait a second. What? Like, you know, I respect Shane as a good observer. I'm like, well, I'm missing. So I'm missing something, right? And I remember this happens to me all the time. The same with NGC 7789, Carolyn's Rose up in Cassiopeia. Again, this was a, an open cluster. I just thought never write home about it. And then, uh, you know, uh, Herschel observer Mark Bratton was out observing with us once. He was like, did you ever look at this? I'm like, yeah, I've, I looked at it. No big deal. And they, no, no, did you ever see? And starts going on about all this stuff. And I'm like... What, what? How can I miss all this? So clearly I'm missing something. So what am I missing in M23?
1: Well, it's just the, the how rich that star field is, how big it is, but how defined the borders are. That's mm. what I love about it. It's just, again, if you kind of just pan over to it, you know, you, you kind of have your typical Milky Way background and then all of a sudden things get really fuzzy and it's like very distinct. Okay. Um, all I right. Love it. I love it. So That's going
0: to be like... The first object I look at now once we get to you know, here. So. yeah
1: you, you know not notwithstanding lagoon nebula like there's some beautiful things to see like mm-hmm. there's you know to pick one or two of my favorites probably isn 't even you know fair because there 's just so many great things to look at up there
0: oh yeah, like i and I honestly what i what I really like to do is to take like um a binocular or one of the, one of these really low power like even the eighty millimeter that you were working on that has some alignment challenges and to put like your nagler 31 in that. And then um, just on a very basic tripod, just kind of scan up and down that band um, and try to get like a few objects. Cause you can get like the Lagoon and M20 and M21, like in the same field of view. And you put a nebula filter in and that nebula really pops out and even in an 80 millimeter telescope, but you can see all these different objects, like in the same field. And I actually think there's probably, I think, you know, there's a couple of globulars in there. There's a couple of other nebulae in there. There's there's a star cloud in there. There's a big dark band in there. Like you can see like many, many objects all in the same field of view. Um, yeah, I, I couldn't really pick. Like we have had so many great sessions. Like and you think, oh, like star clouds, the large Sagittarius star cloud, the small one, the one up in Scutum star cloud is is so, so beautiful. And then when you have some dark nebulae that are overlaying on them, um, you know, it, it's just just an amazing. But you know what? One of my favorite regions of sky, though, is is the there's like a little piece of the Milky Way that comes down through um, the top of Aurigas, where you have I think it's a, an IC four six six five, the Summer Beehive. Oh, okay, yep. And there's yep. there's like a series of other open clusters. I can't remember them off the top of my head, but it's like this little band, and you know, you can see them all really well through binoculars. Um, and I just really like that sort of little little band that kind of peels off the Milky Way and, and jets into the very, the very top of off Ucas. so it's nice and high and there's lots of clusters and you know, they're really, really pretty little clusters. You can get like two or four and in, in the field of view, depending on the size of instrument, and how much wide field you have. But yeah, I just, I just love that. Yeah. It's, it's just so, so relaxing. And you know, it comes back, like, even though you and I have been doing this for a long time, um, Kind of like my advice to, to the beginner that doesn't even know any of this stuff applies to us as well. Like, you know, it's been a while since we've been out under dark skies and when we get out, we kind of do just want to enjoy them. You know, like we like to hunt stuff down, but there's a lot of time we just like to enjoy the night sky. This is, this is what we love to do. And, you know, with the Milky Way, we can just start panning across it with our small instruments or binoculars, or even just sitting in a chair and, and looking at it, waiting for some meteors to come in. Um, it's really a lot of, lot of fun. Great, enjoyable way to spend an evening.
1: Yeah, totally. And, you know, when we go out to a dark sky, we do a minimum of two nights usually. Yeah. Um, And what I like to do, especially if the forecast is, you know, going to be clear for both nights is uh, usually night one. I will just look at a whole bunch of stuff I've seen in the Milky Way before because it is so much fun and, you know, enjoyable. Night two, I'll dedicate to searching for some new objects just to, Mm. you know, provide some variance. But yeah, you know, it's a great place to come back to. And I do have to make a correction. I was wrong on M twenty three. When you said Sagittarius Star Cloud, I thought I better just double check because that's what I was referring to, and that's M twenty four. So yes, my apologies.
0: Well, now I want it now. Now I've slammed M twenty three needlessly, so I'm gonna I'm gonna <laughs> have to go go back to M twenty three and and give it another kick. So, but yeah, I I really like the M twenty four Star Cloud. But you know. It's it's a bit of a misnomer though, eh? Because M twenty four it's it's in the Messier catalog. We should do a talk on the Messier catalog or a podcast in the Messier yeah, catalog yeah. sometimes so people can can really get the gist of it. But Messier was was an observer in the late seventeen hundreds, early eighteen hundreds, and he uh, he was hunting for comets, but he ended up creating a collection of of these deep sky objects, of which M twenty four is one. Now it looks like this star cloud, but it's a bit of a It's a bit of an optical thing. And and what's happening is we're actually looking through like an opening in the dust and the gas of our Milky Way. And we're just looking beyond that at at, at an even richer part of our Milky Way. Um, But there's not like a cloud of stars all concentrated together. It's just it just happens if if that hole was wider, we would actually see it as much larger or if the hole um, covered most of our sky. We would just see a much, much brighter Milky Way. It's really something to think about. Like if you look at how bright that little patch of light is by M twenty or as M twenty four is, um, which is I think a, a couple degrees across by maybe three degrees high. Um, imagine if the whole Milky Way looked like that; would be something else. Eh?
1: Oh wow, that would be that would be almost too much to take in. You know, that's an interesting point because. um, Another real cool phenomenon about the Milky Way, again, if you're under really dark skies, and, and I've shown people this on our public nights out at Grasslands, is if you're in a really dark location, the Milky Way casts so much light that it it throws a shadow. Um, yeah. And and like as you know, Chris, I like to record observational notes. Um, so I'll write down what I'm seeing on a pad mm-hmm. of paper. Yeah, And, you know, all I have to do, because once your eyes get dark adapted, without any lights, you'll easily see white paper. Mm -hmm. Um, And if you just put your pen or a finger on that white paper, you will see a little bit of a shadow thrown from the Milky Way because of Mm -hmm. all that starlight. And now, you know, with your last comment about, could you imagine if the whole Milky Way was visible without that yeah. dust there. Yeah. Holy smokes. Would it be bright?
0: Yeah. It would be really, really bright. Yeah. There's a few spots that are, that are pretty bright and uh, yeah, they would, they would do that for sure. For sure. Hey, can I just like hop in and talk a little bit about the history of, of the discovery of the Milky Way? Like super yeah. quick. Cause yeah. I just, I, I wrote a bit on it. I mean, we don't need to include everything that I put in the notes or, or whatever. It's not really important, but you know, I'm I'm pretty interested in the history and and uh, sit on sit on the history committee, so I feel like I'd put some history content in. But you know, it was Galileo who first uh, saw that this band of the Milky Way um, was actually comprised of individual stars through his telescope uh, in and after 1610. Um, but up until the early 1920s, most astronomers thought that the Milky Way contained all of the stars in the universe. Now. That's actually a fair assumption, because like you were saying earlier, all of the stars that we see in our sky are actually um, part of our Milky Way galaxy, which is our home galaxy. But it turns out there's all kinds of other galaxies out there with uh, some have less, some have more, um, some have around the same number of stars that we have. And, uh, you know, it wasn't until like the 1920s. Um, when Evan Hubble was, was doing his work that that he was able to show that the Milky Way really is just one of many galaxies that are out there. So it is something to remember that this is our, as, as, uh, you know, as, as some have said, uh, our Island universe that's out there, you know, we're really sort of out there floating around in the universe, in our own system of nebulas and stars and star clusters and such. And, and that's what we are. But, uh, our galaxy, the Milky Way, is about 200 light years across, and the Milky Way is about 27,000, sorry, I think it's 200,000 light years across, and we're just 27,000 light years from the center. So we're fairly close into the center, but we're just off the inside edge of the Orion arms. So when we're looking up Orion in the winter sky, we're just sort of in amongst the outer reaches of some of those stars. <laughs> Knowing the size of, of the Milky Way, though, we're still over like 12 or 1,300 light years away from, say, like the Orion neighborhood, I think it's about 1,300 light years away. So even, that's like our local neighborhood is within sort of single digit uh, thousands of light years away. You know, and when I was when I was kind of doing a bit of digging, I had read this before, but I kind of like this fact. So if you were trying to imagine how big the Milky Way was, you would shrink the solar system down to about the size of a quarter. Um and then the Milky Way would be about the about the size of the uh, contiguous United States. So um, it is really, really big, even on that sort wow. of scale. Yeah, yeah, that's
1: huger. that's a great reference. You know, yeah. that, that does help under you know help me understand anyway just how large one common galaxy is. And like you said, there's some that are you know larger, um, and and there's just there's an un uncountable amount of galaxies out there. <laughs> you know, it's it's incredible
0: yeah the one thing that that some people may have seen recently, and I always try to mention this is that there's there's actually a black hole at the center of our galaxy and and at the center of every galaxy that they've looked at and this is this is a difficult thing to do, and they've only recently in the past uh you know sort of ten or twelve years really been doing this they they've been able to discover that there's uh, black holes at the center of most galaxies uh but with ours they've been able to see stars orbiting around it uh, which is pretty neat.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Those, um, I remember seeing that animated, you know, the, the stars kind of getting thrown around and orbiting, uh, very cool. Very neat to see.
0: Yeah. So let's see, is it marked on charts? The black hole? No, no. The, the, well, where is the center of the galaxy?
1: Uh, in the night sky. Yeah. Like if we were looking up, do you know where that is? well do we see much of that from our location like would it be down in Sagittarius or is that a southern hemisphere yeah. thing to see no
0: it's down in Sagittarius yeah it's okay. just off the tip yeah you're doing I know it's like spot quiz um <laughs> <laughs> I didn't put that in the notes I ran out of some time but it's it's just off the spout of you know the Sagittarius uh teapot um and it's sort of just south of we were talking about m24 it's just south of of that you know by maybe uh, eight or nine degrees. But there's nothing really there to see. You can just kind of point to that spot and say, "That's the center. That's where the center yeah. is because we can only see in it, like I said, about thirteen hundred light years or so if that
1: yeah, no, that's that's interesting. Mm. and And you know in Sagittarius, like with that in con or with that being known, uh, if you follow the Milky Way up from Sagittarius it kind of starts to narrow gradually as well as um, less densely packed in terms of stars, or it's not quite as bright. Mm -hmm. Um, So, you know, uh, from what we see of other galaxies, you know, the greatest collection of stars is at that galactic center, which again, you can observe just in that Milky Way band in the night sky.
0: Yeah. Maybe I should mention this. Um, Just thinking about this while you're you're chatting here and that Since, since we're we're closer to the center than you know to, to the outside. Um, it's this time of year uh during the summer months when we are looking towards the center. So uh, you know, that's where most of the stars are. So it's gonna look brighter and denser in that direction, even though we're only able to see maybe a few thousand light years at most towards the center. Um that just has so many stars and Like I said. Uh, even through that little hole that makes M, what we call M24 appear as, as a star cloud, um, that much brighter. Like you could just get the sense of how many stars are towards uh, that core. You know, we're only just seeing, um, you know, a small fraction of the way towards the center. Now in the winter time, we actually face in the opposite direction. We face sort of out into the suburbs. Um, so we're looking through that, that sort of remaining, uh, you know, say a hundred and, 70-odd thousand uh, light years of the Milky Way, but it has far fewer stars in that direction. Um, so we sit kind of, uh, you know, right at the cusp of of where the stars, you know, start to thin out pretty rapidly. And then in the winter, you can see it just to the left or just to the east of, of Orion, running through the constellation of uh, uh, Monoceros uh, is a good spot to see it. And it's, it's relatively faint. I know we were out in in the winter there in February taking a look and we could just faintly see it from like a magnitude five, five side eye.
1: Yeah. It, it's certainly no comparison to the summer Milky way. And I've, I've imaged both i have imaged the summer multiple mm. times and uh, maybe twice the winter Milky way. And even in photographs, um, it, they're very different. Now you can still tell that there's a great c- uh, collection of stars in the Milky way, the winter Milky way but it really pales in comparison to what you can see during the summer months.
0: Yeah. And maybe if people are wondering what we're talking about, (laughs) I should have put this in the notes is that you have the photo uh, on the banner on the pod bean page. And I I think you've used that, that photo elsewhere. And that is a really great photo um, of the summer Milky Way that that we have. And, you know, since it is one of our favorite things to look at um, it's really, really great shot and very appropriate um, usage of, of that image that you've taken.
1: Yeah. Yeah. If you go to actualastronomy.podbean.com, or if you go to our Twitter feed, uh, which is at actual astronomy, I use the same image on both locations and it's an image that I acquired in the grasslands, uh, using some of the, uh, steps that I talked about in our easy astrophotography episode. Uh, yeah. it's a, it's a single exposure, uh, really very little processing done, uh, just adjusted a few colors or, uh, a few levels, um, just to sharpen the contrast. Um, but anyway, yeah, it's a neat image and it really shows, uh, some of the, the patchiness and, and the brightness and, and, you know, the changing light levels within the Milky Way. And, um, you know, if you look at that image kind of on the right hand side of it, there's a real prominent, uh, dark nebula. It's, it's gigantic. Uh, you know, it's naked eye. Um, and, and Chris, this is one that you sort of, uh, brought to my awareness after going to grasslands multiple times. Um, do you want to, I'll put you on the spot. Do you want to talk about that a little bit?
0: You're probably talking about the, the dark horse or the prancing horse.
1: Yes. Yes, I am.
0: So this, this is, uh, is a combination of several dark nebulae and it looks very much like a horse. Um sort of uh, with its hind quarters sort of on on the, on the south and then uh, has the body uh, going up and then a small head and then some arms. Not to be confused with the horse head nebula and the winter sky in the constellation of Orion. But yeah, like that series of, of dark nebulae are, are really beautiful. You know, and it's funny, we can actually see that um, unaided eye from, from in the grasslands. I think you've, you've been able to see that as well.
1: Oh yeah, yeah. It's it's amazing actually, you know, how how prominent, you know, those those kind of border areas are defined. Now it doesn't just pop out at you the way it does in this image, no. but it's certainly visible uh naked eye. Mm. Under the yeah. dark skies, of uh, like darkest of skies.
0: Yeah, yeah. You really need to be under dark skies in order to see it. And having having been under lots of dark skies, when I when I go under skies and aren't quite as dark um i can still i can still see it but from where i spent my summers growing up um you know you you could see that that was just something that i grew up being able being able to see so i, I was really fortunate uh in that respect um but oftentimes like people will uh or like uh documentaries or something will will talk about the stars or whatever um or our milky way and they'll, they'll show a shot of that but uh, that area of the sky is between um scorpius and Sagittarius and up just a little bit, up into Ophiuchus or, or maybe just down from the bottom of Ophiuchus. That gets around Theta, Ophiuchai, Um are, are the three, it's sort of like got a couple stars around Theta, Ophiuchai in, in the middle there. So you find those. Um, and then through binoculars, you, you can actually see that. But that's where that area of, of the sky is. And it is just a spectacular area to, to explore when you're under the darkest skies. Uh, just the simple pair of binoculars, um, just to be able to, to see that out. And I, you know, I didn't discover that or anything. Um, I, I always had seen like some dark rifts in that in the area and kind of had, had grown up with it. But it's when I observe with uh, former uh, uh, Sky and Telescope editor, uh, Alan Whitman, who's, who's originally from, from my area um that he he pointed that out to me and uh and and told me about it and uh subsequently wrote some articles in sky and telescope about it so you know it is really neat to be able to to see these things um for ourselves you know when we can get out there to dark skies and hopefully as people are getting out I know camping's uh uh being really big this year it seems um so hopefully hopefully people will be able to go out maybe if they are getting out to these places even if they don't have uh they don't need to take a chart don't need to take really anything. If they have binoculars, that's great. But you don't need them. Um, you can go out and then just start start taking a look at the Milky Way for your for yourself. And the SkyMaps.com um, charts that people can print off; uh, those actually have the uh, the Milky Way banded in uh, on them. If you kind of want to want to do some of that exploring, just make sure you use a red flashlight or a red down a, a regular flashlight. Pretty pretty good with some red nail polish or red duct tape is always my favorite.
1: So. Yeah, yeah, for sure. And and if anybody purchased the Sky and Telescope Pocket Atlas, which is one that we've recommended on a couple of our episodes, yeah, um, it's excellent. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Just look up Sagittarius. Uh, if like if you plan on panning through the Milky Way uh, with your binoculars, look up Sagittarius. Uh, Sagittarius will be kind of lower on the horizon in the Milky Way, and that can uh, kind of guide you to a whole bunch of different objects to see uh, within that Milky Way. Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. So I'm just looking here at
0: my notes. Shane, do you have anything else to add about the Milky Way Galaxy?
1: Uh, Just that I'm excited to see it in a couple of weeks when we go south to grasslands. Yeah. Um, And binoculars of, you know, any flavor will work. Like we've used those little 2x42s that we, you know, kind of crafted together with some 3D printing. Mm -hmm. Um, But anything else? you know any other binoculars work as well like it's uh it's just a fantastic place to pan through um with two eyes or or with a telescope um Mm -hmm. and uh you'll get a lot of enjoyment out of that
0: yeah very good all right well yeah i'm i'm good too it's one of those things where it's sort of pretty simple to describe looks like a band that runs from the southern horizon up overhead uh and then down in into the north it just looks like this sort of whitish band of clouds with uh, stars in amongst it. Um, that's what it is. That's what the Milky Way is. And, uh, if you do get somewhere dark enough, like even if you, you just pull off on the side of the road somewhere at like a, like a look off point you I mean, she'll be able to see it. Um, but if you do get somewhere dark and especially if you have a pair of binoculars, it's amazing just to kind of sit in a lawn chair or, or just kind of put a, put a towel down or a beach towel down on the ground. Um, and then just kind of scan, uh, throughout that, that Milky Way. It just, that really is a very, very awesome experience.
1: You know, and maybe I'll add one other thing, Chris. Sure. Yeah. Uh, uh, we've talked a, a number of times about getting to a dark sky. Um, and people might be wondering, well, where, where are these dark skies? How, how can I find a dark sky? Oh yeah. That's a good um, point. What, one thing to look for, uh, just Google this is, is dark sky preserves, um, it's a designation that, you know, a lot of national parks, or I shouldn't say a lot, but some national parks have acquired. Mm-hmm. And if you go to one of these areas that is a dark sky preserve, what that means is, um, and really you should probably be doing some of this, uh, ex- explaining Chris, because you've been quite, uh, involved in, in acquiring some dark sky certifications for some areas. Yeah. But, um, you know, basically they have to adhere to certain lighting standards, which uh, includes, um, you know, having as little lighting as what's needed. And then any lighting that is there, you know, it has proper shielded covers so that the light doesn't shine up into the sky, uh, that the light itself isn't too bright or that it, you know, maybe is dimmed uh, during certain hours of the night. Um, and you know these are great places to go to find a dark sky and you know look at things like the milky way or, or these other objects that we've talked about
0: yeah yeah no exactly and uh you know it it really is important to to uh to us to have these sponsors like the national park system here in canada uh you know parks canada it has been a great partner in, uh, in helping to create these as well. I know in the States, they have a variety of other organizations. So they have the International Dark Sky Association, um, which is based out of, I think, Arizona. And, um, you know, has also been involved. There's also several dark sky preserves that have, that have been created um, in America. And then I know over in the UK, uh, they 've got uh, they 've got a few uh that they 've created as well I think one of the one of the biggest ones and one of the earliest ones is is over in the u k so um you know these these are really uh great places to go and really fortunate to to have these uh well especially here where we have one only two and a half hours away and it it probably is uh, about one of the darkest ones that has been
1: created so far so we're really lucky to have that yeah we are i can 't wait to get back. Yeah,
0: good stuff. Well, unless you have anything else to add, Shane, do you want to uh, tell people how they can stay in touch
1: with us? Sure. Uh, You can find us on Twitter, at Actual Astronomy is the handle. And what what we're going to try to do is, you know, as we talk about things in the podcast, uh, we'll put more reference material there so you can kind of get an idea of what we're talking about. So, for example, you know, last episode I was talking about solar observing, uh, you can, I posted a picture of my little solar telescope so you can see what that looks like. We also talked about the uh, comet Neowise on the last episode and I retweeted some imagery of that. So, you know, go check it out. It's sort of supports what we're talking about, uh, gives it a little more context. Plus you can also send us messages or ask us questions there. And you can also reach us. Uh, we are at, or sorry, gmail.com if you want to send us emails.
0: Sounds good. All right. Thanks so much, Shane. We'll talk to you soon. Yeah, thanks. All right. Bye-bye.